Welcome back to the topic of simplicity and stuff. In part one, I talked about where did all this stuff, our material things, come from and shared some of my convictions about how materialistic Christians can be. And in this episode, I want to talk about whose stuff it is and what am I supposed to do with it. Happy listening. Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. Let's go, let's go. Okay, so secondly, whose stuff is this and what am I supposed to do with it? Uh, One of my favorite authors on this topic is Richard Foster, who wrote uh, The Celebration of Discipline and the Freedom of Simplicity. Uh, He said, simplicity sets us free to receive the provision of God as a gift that is not ours to keep and can be freely shared with others. So there's two different ways to look at our stuff, right? Uh, First is, I earned it, I control it, and it's mine to keep. The other is, God gave it, He's in charge of it, and it's His for me to use under His advisement and share with whomever He chooses. So, you know, somebody wins the lottery, what's the question everybody asks? What are you going to do with the money? Well, it's funny, that that's the same question God asks us, basically about every dollar he puts into our hands. What are you going to do with the money? Another author I like is Christopher Hertz. He said, the Western church, for the most part, has mistaken God's financial blessings as individual provision rather than resources with potential for kingdom development. I couldn't agree with him more. We just think, you know, God, you know, has blessed us American Christians so that we can, you know, have all this wealth rather than we tend to not see it as a, as a blessing for the development and the advancement of his kingdom. By the way, frugality, I'm not just talking about being frugal, which is a part of simplicity, but frugality doesn't necessarily lead to generosity. A lot of people are frugal, but not generous. They scrimp and they save and they hoard their money out of fear. Uh, Foster, again, says, the inward reality of simplicity involves the life of joyful unconcern for his or her possessions. I like that, joyful unconcern. Well, let me read a few passages that indicate this kind of inner attitude of detachment from stuff. Proverbs 23, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust in your own cleverness. Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. By the way, these these verses, these passages are on the blog uh, post of the same title as this, uh, Simplicity and Stuff. 1 Timothy 3 says, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, speaking of uh, qualifications for spiritual leadership. Ephesians 5, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. None of those people has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Interesting, we would normally think of immorality and impurity and idolatry, but then he talks about being greedy as 
part of that list of, of being an idolater. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Ephesians 4.28 says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Philippians chapter 4 says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I mean, the secret isn't a secret, right? I mean, he says that the secret of being content is not a secret because he's telling us if we treat our stuff like it's not our stuff, that's the secret. We're not saying it's, it isn't right for a Christian to own a $5 million house or a $50,000 boat or a $75,000 car. I mean, we, we don't want to play possession police with each other. I mean, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. There's no standard answer for, you know, should a Christian own this or have this amount of money? The, the question we should be asking and the person we should be asking it to is the Lord, right? Lord, what should I own? What do you want me to keep? What do you want me to give? You know, John Wesley, the great <clears throat> preacher, calculated what money he needed to live, and then he just gave the rest away, and he did that for the bulk of his life. He said, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way within my heart. The bishop, who ironically was the wealthiest landlord or, uh, landowner in Assisi, asked Francis, who we call St. Francis, your life must be very hard, especially because you don't possess anything. Francis replied, if we had possessions, my Lord Bishop, we would need arms for our protection because disputes and lawsuits usually arise out of possessions. And so love of God and neighbor are greatly impeded. Therefore, we don't want to possess anything, end quote. So, I mean, should all Christians make, take a vow of poverty and all Christians be poor? Well, obviously not. Being poor is not necessarily the best way to help the poor. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, probably meant blessed in spite of your poverty. And he wasn't, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about having so much, but if God has blessed you, maybe we should look for the reason he has blessed us. I mean, there's no list of, of things that Christians shouldn't own or a net worth that we shouldn't have. I mean, because Jesus is Lord of us and all of our stuff, yeah? So we're not taking our cues from the world, but we're taking them from him. Somebody through whom we run our buying and possessing, right? I mean, we talk to him about it. So there's no income level or spending plan for all Christians, but we do have principles to govern us and a person, you know, to guide us. I wonder how many Christians listen to the person about these things or respect those so-called principles. 
you know, Thoreau, who was not a Christian, said a man is rich in proportion to the things he can afford to let alone. (laughs) Let me say this. Simplicity can be an idol too, right? It can be an idol that results in judgmentalism. So instead of keeping up, we are keeping down with the Joneses. So then you have judgmentalism from the another camp that says if you're not financially prosperous, there's something wrong with your faith, you know. And they would say all Christians should be wealthy. Well, wealth is not always or even necessarily a blessing. There was a, a, a there's a proverb in Proverbs 30 by not by Solomon but by another author, Agur, maybe who saw what riches did to Solomon, and he's responding in his prayer to the Lord. He says, two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only daily bread. Doesn't that sound familiar, daily bread? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I mean, what do you call that attitude? It's, it's, it's moderation. Somebody said, he who seeks more than he needs hinders himself from enjoying what he has. There's an old Amish statement that says, to desire to be rich is to desire to have more than what we need to be content. Foster recommends that with our children, he says, give them what they need, not what they want. And in time, they will come to want what they need. I, I, I'm not sure if that's always the case, but it's good advice. Let's go, let's go.